0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Cybersecurity Chronicles, where the new we have news and views from the front lines of cyber and compliance. Today, I'm joined with Tara Trantham, CEO and founder of TJ44 Consulting. They are a compliance, risk management, and creditors' rights services expert. Uh, with Tara's background as an attorney and general counsel in the financial services sector, uh, you have that important perspective when it comes to compliance. Uh, and dealing with regulated industries. So Tara, welcome today and thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So just to kind of set the groundwork on your background as an attorney and dealing with compliance, what is the regulating authority that you deal with most often and who do they oversee?
1: Okay. Yeah, sure. So I, I started out briefly um, working with healthcare-regulated entities, but the, um, the majority of my career has been financial services industry. So regulated heavily now by the um, CFPB. And then depending on the industry, um, you know, if it's a bank then the OCC, um, kind of all the alphabet soup, <laughs> if they're publicly, <laughs> you know, um, if they're publicly traded, you also have, you know, the SEC, the the DOJ. But um, most of the space that I've spent my time in is heavily with the CFPB and then state regulations, state entity, you know,
0: the state regulators. Are the states coming in with some of their own special twists on the regulations if they're federally regulated?
1: You know, sometimes it depends on, um, you know, we see um, some of the states, um, particularly California, New York, right, always adding their twist and they're more comprehensive than the federal regulations. Um, for example, in debt collections, um, m- many of the states have their companion debt collection laws and rules and regulations, but um, South Carolina and California, I mean, <laughs> I'm in South Carolina, New York, and California (laughs) um, come to my mind as being the most complex and certainly more complicated than the federal
0: rules. Mm, Okay. So what has been the most surprising thing that you have seen companies not doing?
1: (laughs) Uh, you know, it's it's been surprising to me um, throughout the time since the CFPB kind of came on the scene, right? Of uh, the companies not having at least your basic framework of a compliance management system, um, but but the CFPB was nebulous, and um, and now we see the CFP again, right? We're, we're not sure.
0: CFPB being
1: Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So, you know, they they regulate certain industries for sure, but now we see them reaching out with this dormant authority to other industries, and we're not sure, Um, you know, peer-to-peer payments, um, fintech. And we don't know how they're going to reach out, um, but they've said that they they could come out, you know, an an audit under a supervisory authority. So, you know, it's it's interesting to me to see when we have that. You know, I've been doing it for years, so but this is the newest thing um, from the CFPB that the companies are, just aren't prepared. Sometimes, you know, when when you see those announcements, but it's hard to keep up with.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on the peer-to-peer side with companies that are, that do fall under, do they have to fall under the oversight of the regulatory agency of CFPB for them to, for the peer-to-peer payment, taking, taking payment that way? Or no, is any company, any company that's involved in taking a peer-to-peer type of payment, would they now fall under CFPB? Potentially.
1: Yes, Yes, potentially. That's how we all are certainly reading, you know, this new announcement that came out that they are going to use dormant authority that they've had since 2013 to reach to agencies that that do not have oversight or regulatory and they did not have supervisory enforcement. Now, um, keep in mind, if they didn't have supervisory enforcement of agencies, they still could come in under enforcement actions. But now it appears they're going to do both. Um, and so we're almost back to where we were prior Trump era, where the CFPB was very active. They're active again. And um, you kind of have to follow the tea leaves, right? And, and watch, um, because they're, they're making law by... Rules. They're making law by consent orders, enforcement actions, and now um, really procedural and, avi- and advisory opinions, which is very new. So to answer that in a long-winded lawyer way, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And peer-to-peer payment being the Venmos, the cash apps, things like that. Yes. That, that new way of making payment or money transfers electronically to people, uh, whether, whether it be businesses or or individuals. Right. So, interesting.
1: Similarly with buy now, um, you know, pay later, um, and just fintechs in general. It seems to be there's this, we don't know what they do, but we're thinking you know, about the CFUB, We think they're bad, and so we're going to find a way to reach them.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So how do you help uh, companies understand the importance of cyber risk when it, how it relates to their compliance?
1: Yeah. You know, working with companies um, and, and, I was on the other side for all those years, meaning I was in-house working (laughs) at the company, you know. Um, And so, you know, bringing the appropriate teams together is important Um, and to understand, you know, all of the compliance management system, but with respect to cyber risk itself, you know, to understand how important it is to protect the data, how to have it properly encrypted and, you know, all the things that you need to do, um, you know, some companies are are well versed in that because, um, you know, like example, people who do take payments and things, right? I mean, they want to use Visa credit cards. You already already have this kind of rules under Visa, right. and they're, you know that you have to follow along. Um, but other companies, um, you know, it's not right in the forefront. And you know, I've actually experienced one of the worst breaches in, in my career at a company um, was by the the Coke vendor or the, the soda vendor that came in and we didn't have a proper, you know, clean desk policy where you lock everything up and everyone thought I was, you know, oh, you're being the lawyer lady again, you know, And we, how, can we lock <laughs> <up>? <laughs> how can we lock up all our papers? And then the next thing you know, you know, they went around and stole 20,000 um, people's social security and credit card numbers.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It, it, you know, people think about access control and they don't think about the physical access control and access right. to information oftentimes. Right. Right. And it, and that's just generally a good policy as you said, the clean desk policy to make sure you're not leaving things out there. Yes, you're only getting to get a cup of coffee down the hall, but right. or you're only running quickly out to grab lunch and you're coming right back to your desk. It's still you need to take those things into consideration just like, you know, making sure you're your laptop or your your computer screen is locked and closed, and nobody's gonna right. be able to access access the computer as well. So, right, you know, you and I were talking the other day that that the the path to compliance, uh, just in talking about that, can seem so overwhelming to executives if they haven't dealt with it before. They you you come in. You've got this experience. You come with a legal voice and you're saying, look, you need to do, you need to meet some sort of compliance, whether you're regulated or not regulated anymore, even as just the best practice, you need to have policies and procedures comprehensively across your company to do these things. That seems overwhelming. Right. Where, where do you even suggest an executive or a management team start this journey?
1: Well, you know, as you and I discussed briefly, Sean, one good place to to start and to think about it where it's not overwhelming is that you have other policies and procedures in place. You have to, or you wouldn't be operating in some sort of (laughs) fashion. You know, um, HR policies, you know, what time do people have to show up? What what do they have to wear? Um, Normally, um, even small to mid size, you know, you have certain compliance on the HR side, um, training or a learning center where the employees go to, to learn about, um, you know, sexual harassment and the different things are required under, you know, the laws that people are accustomed to. So you start with, well, how did we get those together? And then how can we look at the, you know, the broader sca- scope of compliance in general? And that's one way to start.
0: Yeah. It, it, or- organizations are going to have, Some sort of policy and procedure for something, like you said, because there's you start most easily with HR because there's a reason you don't want people showing up in pajamas with bunny slippers that are dealing with the public. Um, right, and so yeah, it does seem like that would be a good place or at least a reasonable place to start to understand what to do. And, And it doesn't necessarily, especially if it's not a regulated industry, you can come up with some written things that doesn't have to be properly formatted or structured a particular way with a whole table of contents, just really kind of a management team looking at this topic, think about these things, what do we want, how do we want to do it, and put that in place. Is that typically sufficient for you know a small business, medium-sized business that's not regulated?
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's a great start, right? If they're small and they're not regulated, just to begin to put things on paper and write down what you're doing, um, it's almost like process mapping. Or you know, some um, even smaller companies are accustomed to say lean, six sigma, manufacturing plants are used to this. You know, Um, and and you know, and I would always say, hey, you know, compliant companies are more profitable, but it's true because once you go through some of those things, you have a little bit more organization. And I think it's very important though, Sean, I just wanted to point this out that when you start those conversations, you don't just go to, well, you start with management because you have to have approval to start doing it, right? Right. But you (laughs) you bring all the stakeholders together. You need IT in there. You need HR in there. You need You know your your different departments and stakeholders because you never know where one or another crosses, and you don't want to do duplicative work. Um, At the same time, you don't want to miss you know how one policy may affect your IT department, and and you know I've had them say, well, that'll just shut us down. I'm like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) you know, you need you need everyone in the
0: room. You have all those stakeholders for a reason because they're experts or they're knowledgeable in those areas, and you you can't know everything. Especially right. when it comes to the, you may you may understand your business in general, but when it comes to very specific areas operationally how it impacts the operations, you need people that are essentially the boots on the ground to give you feedback,
1: to right. guide the
0: decision that's being made. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, it, there are times where it does require a lot of comprehensive knowing very specifics. In my previous life, uh, I in what the business I was in. We were getting CTPAT certified, which is working with U.S. Customs Border Protection, and the entire supply chain process. We had to know the factory. We had to know we had to have been into the factory. We had to know the people there. We had to know the management team, what they made, where the things came from, the route the truck driver took from the factory to the port. This port typically goes from the ships go from this port to this port in the U.S. We discharge here. We use this trucking company, this rail company, and so forth. That is to an extreme, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be to that level uh, for many companies. And I think that's important. Like we were just saying, just talk through with your team, the different departments in your team, and talk through different things. You'll start to come together with some decent policies. That everybody kind of agree that – we all understand what's expected of the employees. We ex- understand what's expected of the business. And we all understand and agree what this does or how it impacts the business because there may be some impact to the operations because you're not doing the business the way you were doing it. But the way you were doing it <laughs> might have been a little sloppy, might have been a little risky. risky. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so... You know it's important to go through that. Yeah, that's a good the good way to do that. So, do you have any suggestions of what to focus on through their path towards compliance, or the specifics things they should sort of keep their eye on this ball or these balls as they move forward? You,
1: you know, Sean, that's. Um there are certainly specific things, but it's hard, you know, to define because it depends on the industry, right? And particularly what, what widget you're making or what financial service you're providing. But there are some that are pretty standard. And, you know, one advice that I give companies is that, um, you know, look at if you, right now I'm talking about the CFPB, but most of your financial related products, products are going to fall under that right so if you look the C- the CFPB on their website has a supervisory manual and you know that's how i built every cms that i've ever built irrespective of what entity whether it was mortgage auto you know whatever financial product because that's what the cfpb uses to audit you <laughs> right so i mean one of the easiest ways it wasn't like a you know a brain Child, that I, you know, wow, what a great idea, Tara! <laughs> it was like, no, <laughs> this is the simplest way to come up with, you know, and so let's look at what under their supervisory manual applies to us, and then you can go through there. So, you know, if, if you look at the supervisory manual, um, you and your team get it together and you say, okay, well, yep, we're making loans, so we're going to have to comply with TILA. All right, well, let's get a TILA policy and just write it down. We're you're already probably. Um, of course, you're apl- complying with TILA, right? I mean, you've got it in your your interest rate and your loans and all those sorts of things, but you don't have it written in a policy, right? So, the next thing you go down to is let's say um, Equal Credit Opportunity Act, uh, which of course the CFPB is looking at that right now. But not to make it complicated, you say, okay, we're we're going to, you know, we're going to lend fairly, we're not going to discriminate. You know, just having that down and having it in there is, you know, a policy, and and you just You know, one at a time, Um, because I think it's overwhelming to, you know, for if you do have legal and compliance in-house and they say, oh, here, here's 20 new policies and procedures, you don't want to do it that way. I don't think. I think it's best to build one at a time and to look at the manual of the folks who are going to come in and audit you maybe one day. And if you're not regulated, then it's still good to look at what if you're, you know, depending on the industry, the best practices in the industry and try to follow that.
0: Yeah. It, it's in focusing on the one at a time is best. And you may find yourself sort of repeating, your. the company may find itself repeating the some language of the policy in this area as they said in this area but it's applicable and you know many times if you re- find yourself repeating the same language there's a reason you're repeating the same language
1: right. it's important
0: <laughs> but even if you're going to be repeating yourself don't try to cross that language across multiple policies at the same time because you know it is problematic at that point right
1: Right. And, and then you just get into version control and, you know, talk about <laughs> one another, <laughs> but. <laughs>
0: oh, so, um, what do you wish companies knew or that they did before they needed you?
1: Well, I wish that companies knew, um, or could, um, before they needed me to, you know, to really to do what we're talking about, right. to, take some time, get in a room with your major, you know, your department heads and think about, you know, who regulates you. And that could be, again, you know, HR, you already have it together. You have OSHA, you have different things. Um, And to have something in place, just some things in place where you're following um, because that's certainly gets you farther along the line. I mean, I will say I was in large, I was involved in a huge case that went four and a half years with the CFUB, but we, we had built um, the compliance. That's an attorney's
0: dream, Tara. That's an imp- you know, attorneys love that.
1: No, it was not a dream. <laughs> but um, we had put our compliance management system together a year prior to the CFEB coming knocking on our door. And actually, we won that case without a consent order. I mean, it's kind of unheard of. But it, it was irrespective, even if there was something was going to happen. It certainly boded, boded well for us that we had taken the time to look at it and try. You know, it, that does mm-hmm. make a difference. And so that's what I would give the advice is at least start putting something together
0: that even if it's a comp- a smaller mid-sized business that is not regulated right that even if they sit down and they start to write some simple policies and procedures that act right. alone goes a long way to any enforcement authority that right. may want to come down on them at some point yes you may I- you may not you may not have achieved you know the right things but at least you tried you do you do get a you do get some recognition for trying, and I think I think the it used to be that failure, not knowing you needed to do something, clearly you know, completely oblivious that you had to do something for some compliance, um, was sort of defensible to an extent because it you know lack of knowledge you know, played some role, but I think that's becoming less of a opportunity for a company to claim that because it's, it's hard for any company to know that they shouldn't be doing something when it comes to, uh, cyber in particular, because Mm -hmm. it's a growing area that everybody should have some sort of cyber policies in place when -hmm. it comes to dealing with cyber risk. But it's, it's sort of like the same thing. Well, I didn't know I couldn't hire people based purely on their gender. Well, right. you didn't need a documented policy. You knew that when you started your business. That's been a known thing out, out there for a long time. So, right. you know, it's important for companies, I think, to really kind of look, start looking at the whole cyber risk side of it, putting things in place properly, because that defense is not going to be there much longer.
1: Um, no, and, and certainly as you mentioned, Sean. I mean, you know, you, you see the regulators go through kind of their hot topic, you know, and what of yeah. the day, and cyber risk and security is certainly the hot topic. I mean, it kind of has taken its on its own, right? It's um, and separate, and they're they're focusing on that for for sure.
0: I think the 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 level that cyber risk has risen to, uh, cyber used to be looked at as a sub risk under operational. Right. But the the interconnectedness of everyone uh, in their businesses now, technologically, the cyber risk really takes on its own area. It does affect operations, but it doesn't. It's not a subset of operational risk anymore.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, absolutely.
0: Well, there's a reason that we named uh, this this session was titled uh, based upon a comment you had made, Tara. <laughs> Uh, oh. <laughs> one time in a chat. The only affordable risk is what one?
1: <laughs> the risk you could have avoid risk you avoided.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I love that lie because because really uh, the, you can do a lot of things, um, even with just your management team, as a small business, you can do some things to avoid risk uh, to your organization. And so that's, it is one that you can afford. You You can can afford afford the time. You can afford the time with your management team to take some time to think about these things and, and what uh, sort of compliance looks like for you. So.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Well, uh, Tara, thank you for joining me today. If any of our listeners would like to know more about Tara, you can find her at TJ44 Consulting. Is that correct? LLC, yeah. And you can find her on LinkedIn, Tara Trantham, T-R-A-N-T-H-A-M, on LinkedIn. You can connect with her there, and I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you there if you if you so choose. Again, I'm Sean Mahoney with NetSwitch. You can read more about us at netswitch.net. We look forward to hear you listening to us next time. Thanks for joining us this on, on this episode.
1: Thank you.